0: the headlines isn't always enough. Sometimes you need to talk about it. For stimulating conversation on the day's hot topics, this is your station. This is your show. The Ryan Jesperson Show on 630 Chen, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. A good Friday morning to you. It's 9.06. In just a second, we'll say hello again. To the new chair of the University of Alberta Board of Governors. You've certainly heard Michael Fair several times on these airwaves, but it's been a while looking forward to catching up. What a new opportunity that lies in front of the former Edmonton City Councilor. Just after 9.30 today, to tee up the rest of the show, we'll talk to Canada's Princess of Pot. Well, that's what they call her. I was figuring, though, isn't she more Canada's Mrs. Marijuana? Jody Emery, of course, a political activist, owner of Cannabis Culture magazine, you know. Mark Emery's wife as well. Well, Jody Emery's been speaking with former Toronto Police Chief Bill Blair, who's saying uh, in the meantime, while the feds look at legalizing marijuana, we still need to enforce our laws. We'll get Jody Emery's take on that after 9.30. After 10 o'clock, you've heard of this Smart Start device. It's the one that people that have pleaded guilty or been found guilty of a DUI can use after a few months have passed to get back behind the wheel of their car. They've got to essentially blow into it every time they want to drive, costs a lot of money to have it installed. Well, one Edmonton woman who's going to speak with us says this thing is providing nothing but problems. She wants to make it right in her life. She's trying, but she has to have her car towed every single time this smart start device won't start. We'll get those details after 10 o'clock. In the 11 o'clock hour, Tina Faiz, Donald O'Byrne, and Trent Wilkie will join us for what I promise you will be an entertaining roundtable, but we're going to put some tough questions to them. I want to know what their gut instinct is on questions like, should Vince Lee be allowed to change his name? Should Alberta consider introducing a sales tax What about this announcement out of Ontario, free tuition for low-income students? We'll go there with our Friday roundtable, and of course, we're going to spend some time in varied applications, remembering the legacy of former Alberta Premier, former Grey Cup winning quarterback with the Edmonton Eskimos, Don Getty, who you may have heard passed away last night. We've just heard the news that Michael Fair, former Edmonton City Councilor, will serve as the incoming chair of the University of Alberta Board of Governors. Michael, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Great to be here. I'm I'm doing the math, and I'm I'm assuming that as your political career with Edmonton City Council was starting, uh, Mr. Getty's career as premier was probably just wrapping up. Do you remember the exact timing then? I I don't remember the exact dates exactly, but yes, it was at that point.
1: um, uh, He was premier when I I was very first elected but within a few months of that um uh he in fact um uh, had resigned and and uh, we had the the competition and then the, eventually that uh, uh, mr. Klein became the premier uh, that. so I, I remember a bit of that that time I remember um, the graciousness of of uh, mr. Getty as he was uh, leaving office. Um, I, I do know that the, the the mayor at the time had indicated that that uh, the, the meetings with uh, mr. Getty had always been very pleasant he was very friendly and and very uh, a very good listener as well as um, having some things to say.
0: It seems like a lot of Albertans that may not have been totally up to speed or totally familiar with his legacy have probably heard the name Don Getty previous to this morning, right. uh, more frequently because he was also premier through some pretty tough at economic time, times as well. Yep. Uh, people talk about this deficit that, that we spoke with the finance minister, Joe Cc about yesterday, yes. and, and people will point out that, hey, the 1986 equivalent of the deficit that Don Getty ran uh, at a time when oil was, was trading at 8 or $10 a barrel yes. can, can is something that we, we might be remiss to ignore yes. uh, these days. Are financial considerations, do you figure, going to be a big part of what's on your plate as the incoming chair at the U of A Board of Governors table? Uh, It
1: certainly is uh, one of the very major items. Uh, It's very clear that that part of the uh, responsibility of the Board of Governors is to oversee the finances of the university um, and to take a look at how they're being spent and apportioned uh, throughout the the system. Um, And naturally, that depends on the money coming in as part of that, of course. So uh, I, I think that that is one of the areas that we will certainly um, be involved with. We, we also, I think um, board members, including myself, are aware that uh, times are not um, uh, not conducive to uh, think that we're going to get a great deal of additional funding from uh, the uh, province. We'll work to do the best we can and try to see how we can increase both the uh, quality of what, what the university does in terms of uh, teaching and research and... Um, advocate for some additional resources as well.
0: I guess there are several uh, sources of funding or revenue for a university. Of course, you can talk about government funding. You can talk about corporate partnerships, which actually uh, saw the University of Calgary getting a bit of hot water earlier this year when it came to expectations of their partnership with certain oil companies. And then, of course, there's enrollment student yes. enrollment. Student
1: enrollment, um, and, and uh, the, the university has a significant number of students that come from other countries, and that enrollment uh, uh, has grown over the last uh, few years as well. Uh, and, and in fact, is of, uh, generally speaking, indirectly, a fair bit of money available from the federal government, primarily for research grants. You know, the, that that's one of the, uh, the province also provides money for research, but the federal government provides a lot of money for research, and that depends upon the project and uh, all of the kinds of things. It's a competition among um, anybody who wishes to apply for the different ones, but it ends up being quite a large sum of money potentially if you receive quite a bit.
0: We had a, and, and, I, and I'm ashamed of myself that I can't remember his name, a young engineering student was in here, I guess about a month ago, and he was one of those, the guy is like 21 years old, and he's working on this satellite that's, that's being built at the U of A, and it's going to be launched up, and, and it's just incredible stuff, and we hear time and time again all of these advancements that are being made in the research that's being done at the University yeah. of Alberta. From your perspective, through your eyes, why is that so important for a university to be a leader in research? Uh, I think that uh, the,
1: uh, much research leads to uh, new solutions for the kinds of issues and the kinds of directions that we wish to go. Obviously, not every piece of research does that. Oftentimes, it's an accumulation of, of different uh, research coming together. Uh, and I think that it very much is a part of why um, societies become better, do better, whether it's uh, increasing the health care uh, outcomes. I mean, you think today that so much surgery is done microscopically and instead of, you know, having to open them and, and on and on it goes, kind of thing like that. And much of that has been a, a result of the research that goes on. Um, and I think that um, a, as a province, and looking at uh, diversifying our economy um, and increasing the, the, um, uh, the, the income of, of people in, in Alberta, um, much of that, I think, can happen because of good research and what it leads to um we have we're fortunate that at the university we have the nanotechnology uh center uh and there's a lot of promise of, of the impact that that will is and will be having um uh, in in the way that things are made and and how manufacturing is done and a variety of other kinds of things all of which may well lead to some new kinds of industries um people that need to know how to work in that field as well
0: we spent all of Wednesday morning, actually through our broadcast schedule at the University of Alberta Hospital, specifically the Mazenkowski Alberta Heart oh, Institute, yeah. and hearing some of the stories. I mean, yeah. you talk, they're, they're doing heart procedures through the groin, like arthroscopically, yeah. kind of just really incredible stuff, mind-blowing yeah. stuff. Yeah. Uh, as, as government priorities indicate a focus on, let's say, moving forward with yes. what they call sustainable energy, moving yeah, away from coal, moving towards solar, yeah. I would imagine that universities' ears must perk up because when it comes to research, a lot of it could be done right here in Edmonton. Absolutely. And I think that at the uh, University of Alberta, um,
1: we see a great deal of opportunity in that area. And we have some very fine people in that field who I think have been waiting to hear those kind of words as well, and, and uh, are already engaged. Uh, expect that there will be some additional funding available for research in this area, uh, perhaps quite a bit more than has been in the past, uh, and also feel that that uh, the same kinds of results that came from some earlier research about dealing with, with um, um, our oil reserves in the north led, led to a lot of the good work that's been done there. Can it be um, move in direction of of um, sustainable development and st- sustainable energy sources. Um, it needs research, some thinking, discussion, debate. Um, arguing uh, a bit over some of it, what it means, um, and trying a number of, of uh, new ways of doing things. And I think you know, the university is also really good at having that opportunity to try new things. They may fail, but it isn't quite the same if you're manufacturing something and your income depends on it and your company depends on it. And so the university has that advantage that it can try some things that may not work out, but it doesn't mean the world is ended for you because
0: you have to close down your industry and, and fire people or get, lay off people. <laughs> (laughs) Now you've been spending a bunch of time on campus Prior to this announcement, yeah. I mean, your involvement at the U of A goes back several years in yeah. various different capacities. Yes, it has. It has. Um, I, I was
1: uh, part of the administrative team at the university for, I guess, about three years. Uh, but I've also taught at the university at, at two different stretches. I, uh, early in my career, before I was even on city council, I taught some courses there. But in the last number of years, I was um, with the with the Institute of Section Minority Studies and Services, which is within the Faculty of Education, and I was on a contract um, teaching particular. Or classes um, for uh, the institute uh, with undergraduate students who are going to be teachers, and sometimes with graduate students as well. Uh, uh, that, so I've I've been, um, and and that was a very fruitful relationship. I learned a lot about how things work on the on the day-to-day front line, so to speak, where you're it got, um, you know, 40, 20 year twenty-year-olds in front of you, and you need to pretend you know what you're doing and, and what, what you want them to learn and understand, uh, as well as how an institute and a faculty work um, a bit and the dynamics that that, that uh, are part of all of that system. Well, there's a fair bit of small-p politics and university kind of thing in that, and it doesn't hurt to come with a little background in politics. I think that could be quite useful. What are small-p politics? Well, um, you know, there
0: it, it's not related to parties and officially being. But well, some are some are alleging that it kind of is. Uh, well, you know that a couple of people have oh, raised a stink over oh, your appointment.
1: Oh, of course, yeah. well, people, well, and and I, I, you know, I was an elected official. I was a politician. Was any question about that kind of thing? Of that, um, that was a uh, big portion of my life, uh, and and I think a, experience that that was uh, um, quite useful in in moving into this position. I mean, as a member of Council, you know, dealt with a, a budget in, in the billions with a sort of workforce of 12,000, 13,000, hugely diverse, even whether it was doing sewers or whether it was building sports uh, facilities and everything in between. Um, it gives you a sense of, of uh, having to deal with the whole range. And then mm, I had comrades that I sat with that we would argue on occasion
0: and didn't always see things, you know, quite in the same light. And perhaps debated a bit. We say it on this show every single day. As long as you keep it civil, as long as you keep it respectful, I don't think there's anything wrong with the odd argument. If you're focused in the right direction, if you're you're either trying to pursue truth or pursue an understanding of other perspectives, I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. Now, of course, the the, uh, outgoing chair, Doug Goss, who resigned uh, shortly after the last provincial election, of course, Mm -hmm. and and, and I've got a lot of respect for Doug and Doug carries a lot of respect in this community. I will say in the context of this conversation, he got himself in a bit of hot water, appearing with uh, four other business leaders in town. it became known as the five CEOs that met in yeah. the Melcor building and encouraged Albertans to vote PC. He, he resigned after there there was a suggestion that he was abusing his role as chair of, as, of the U of A Board of Governors. Now you're installed in, in some PC backers and a couple of former PC cabinet ministers are saying, well, nothing's changed. We know that Michael Fair <laughs> backs the NDP and here we go, a partisan appointment again. It's just more of the same old story. Does that stuff affect you at all? No, not, not,
1: not a great deal. Uh, and that, I mean, that's my background. How do you respond is, to it. it? Well, I think that that uh, the major things that are different um, is, in fact, it was an open process. I applied like others. I had three separate interviews. Um, I know at one point it was down to uh, seven individuals that were being looked at. Do you care to name the other six? No, I don't actually know who they were, <laughs> okay. to tell you the truth. Um, that, that I w- wasn't a uh, party of, nor would I ask. Uh, and so there, there was um, uh, an entire process that went through was all of the different interviews and and it was different um, entities. I was interviewed by a, a committee of the current board And that's all it was. I mean, it was all those members. It wasn't anybody else as part of that. Um, And then, uh, same thing down the line, it was a different mixture of uh, folks as
0: part of that. Well, I'll tell you a whole bunch of people have been celebrating your appointment, including Edmonton's current mayor, Don Iveson. When we come back from this break, I'd be curious for your take on the relationship between a city and its university, as well as some of the maybe personal priorities that Michael Fair will bring to his new role as chair of the U of A Board of Governors. Michael Fair, of course, with us right here in studio all the way through till the bottom of the clock. You're listening to the Ryan Jesperson Show on 6:30 Chat, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. The incoming chair of the University of Alberta Board of Governors joining us in studio, Michael Fair, who of course served as an Edmonton city councillor from 1992 through to 2007. Our current mayor, Don Iveson, praised your appointment as chair of the B.O.G. at the U of A. <laughs> How do you perceive the relationship? And you can speak generally or specifically. Oh, sure between a city and its university. Well, I, 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 I'm delighted with the comment that the the uh, mayor
1: made, of course. Um, I, in fact, if I hadn't been a member of city council, I don't think I would have applied for this job, to tell you the truth, because I'm very convinced that, that part of... Um, uh, moving forward is the synergy between a major university and a major city I think that synergy is more than either one of them it's the combination that makes a huge difference and I think that being, we are seeing that in many um, major cities across the country so I, I have a very strong belief that that will be very um, important to continue to pursue and if I, it, one small example that I would use is that the, the city and the university have, um, Departments were part of working on what has become our, our waste treatment um, program for garbage kind of thing. In that. And a facility that is out there that does research with, with people from the university, and much of the gains we've made in how we deal with garbage is done because of that synergy between the city and the university. And that wouldn't have happened otherwise. And so it, it, to me, it's one of those kind of uh, hallmarks that says uh, the value of the two is just um, – uh, it, you can't beat it, so I, I do think that that's an area that I'm particularly interested in, um, and, and so is the university. I mean, uh, and so is the city, and and I think the timing is is good to to uh, to work in that. The mayor is a graduate from the university and worked at the university. He certainly has strong feelings and, and about the university, very positive. Uh, we have a new um, uh, president of the university that comes from a strong background from from uh, Uvic in Victoria, a smaller city, but but also was um, involved and is interested in. And making sure that that uh, things are done between the two um, and, and finding ways to, to
0: help that to happen so what would be another? top priority for you I mean what are a couple of things that you that you insist on achieving in at least what' I mean a minimum one year a three-year term uh, you can have up to 10 terms I mean this could be a 30year gig years, for not you. 10 terms <laughs> no, it's, oh is it 10 years yeah <laughs> yes, ten I read years. 10 terms I no, thought no, geez no, 30 no, no, years no, no, guys, because the term is three years so okay so, so your terms g- would be 30 years <laughs> that's what I'm, I'm saying six feet, okay so so you're you're automatically this will be the headline it reads Michael fair immediately dismisses rumors of a 30-year run as chair okay so but you're guaranteed a minimum of three. What do you insist on achieving between now and 2019? Um, Besides what I mentioned a little
1: bit in the relationship between the city, uh, another one that I was very pleased to to hear uh, the president talk about um, the importance of of, uh, uh, our work with uh, the indigenous population, uh, which he has a background in at U of Vic. Um, He has done and and is pulling together some of the uh, presidents of other universities to discuss um, Indigenous education at university level. I think the board um, may have a role in that, and I'm very eager to see how we can both support that as well as as I think boards need to look at how they uh, see themselves in relation to uh, uh, relations with their Aboriginal population. So that would be another area that I I, um, think is is valuable uh, or a good place to move. I'm also interested to see whether there is more that can be done in the research area for some of the areas we maybe don't traditionally uh, come first to our mind. And I'm thinking about um, areas that, that that might be uh, uh, music, it might be art, uh, might be design, uh, it might be design, it might be urban planning, um, all of which are important areas. And, and I think that uh, that there is some money that goes for some research there. I think with the change in the federal government, we're likely to see some more opportunity there.
0: And I think we we need to work hard at pursuing that uh, those areas as well. Of course, you're taking on a, a big new workload. What does this mean for your role with the Northern Saskatchewan River Valley Conservation Society? It,
1: it will be a challenge. Um, uh, the, that group has been, uh, which I'm very proud to be part of, uh, looking at a very pristine 400 hectares along the, the uh, Saskatchewan River, the very southwest corner of the city. Um, and we have been uh, lobbying and successful in having the city begin to do a, a three-year uh, plan of a natural area for there. I'm real pleased. Um, and I'm going to continue some of that work, but I'll have to diminish the, the time that I can spend on that.
0: Interesting details in Ontario's budget uh, released oh, just yesterday. You that. had to know I was going to ask yeah, you know, about of course this. Uh, they're they're, cle- they're clearing up some financial waste rooms, so students coming from families that earn less than $50,000 a year will essentially have grants cover their entire tuition costs. Might be a tough time to try to roll that out here in Alberta, (laughs) but but would you like to see it?
1: Oh, There's no doubt in my mind that that I think it would be important uh, to move in that kind of direction and that um, uh, I... I am concerned that um, we are limiting the opportunities for a number of, of young people that we don't want to do that for. Um, I just came from a conference on dealing with homeless youth and, and that was held in the States, um, and one of the discussions there was, why aren't we encouraging more homeless youth to think about post-secondary education and get them involved. And, and I hadn't thought about that in the work that I'm doing here, and it really hit me that that we have kind of, it's easy to close those doors without thinking that through and and then and so I'm, I'm, I'm really um, interested to see how some of that might be able to be done here in Alberta over time as well. It's easy for me to say that, not having looked at any of that very carefully, um, and not knowing the money situation, et cetera, and that. But I, it's something that, that I think is really uh, extremely important. So the ball is rolling. It is rolling, and I'm rolling right along with it, and I'm hoping it's not going to roll over me.
0: Michael Fair, thank <laughs> you for hanging out with us this morning. <laughs> thank you. Former City Councilor Michael Fair, the incoming chair of the U of A board of governors this is the Ryan Jesperson show on 630 chat edmonton's breaking news and conversation station we heard it on the campaign trail and we've heard it since from prime minister Justin Trudeau the liberal government uh, either decriminalizing or legalizing marijuana they've said it's a priority of theirs but how to roll it out. That's what's being determined right now. And of course, we know there are consultations underway and studies underway, addictions experts and public safety experts corresponding with the government as it decides on the best way to move forward. It's not been without criticism from so-called pod activists, including Jody Emery, who joins us over the phone. Uh, Jody, are we talking to you from the West Coast this morning? Yes, I'm in Vancouver. All right on. God's country, I know for you, a city that you celebrate, and a city where you've uh, set up shop with your husband, Mark Emery. Of course, you own and operate uh, cannabis culture there on the corner of, of Cambie and Hastings. Jody, just to sort of paint a picture, for, for those that aren't familiar... How does it work with cannabis culture in the lounge and in the shop? Because for people that believe that marijuana has been completely 100% outlawed and never in the public eye in Canada leading up till now, it's not necessarily the case, is it?
2: Well, Mark Emery, my husband, started cannabis culture in 1994. The Canadian government banned all books and magazines and bongs and pipes In fact, that law is still in the books right now. Every magazine and every bong is illegal in this country. So Mark opened up his shop and started selling pipes and bongs in High Times magazine, which was illegal, in Canada. And he sold seeds and told people, plant these seeds of freedom to overgrow the government. He used money from the seed sales to finance political ballot initiatives, Campaigns all across Canada and the world, marches and rallies, lobby groups, court cases, lawyers. I mean, Mark Emery generated and gave millions of dollars away to the marijuana movement when nobody else was doing it. That seed business ended in 2005 when the U.S. government came up to Vancouver, shut down his shop, and as listeners may know, Mark was extradited to the United States and spent five years there on a plea deal when he was facing 30 years to life for simply sending seeds to the mail and funding legalization. So our shop, Cannabis Culture, is also the headquarters, it's a head shop, but it's the magazine office. We've got Cannabis Culture magazine since 1994, Pot TV Studios, and our Vapor Lounge, which has been around for 10 years now, where people can pay $5 and bring their own cannabis and enjoy a safe space with other fans of cannabis. But it's an activism-based business, so the reason we exist is to advocate for legalization, and that's why I was just in Ottawa at the Liberal Senate Forum on legalization.
0: Yeah, we want to talk to you about that in, in just a second. Uh, for those that, that, that have never visited the Cannabis Culture Lounge, they may do a bit of a double take when they walk in the door because, like you said, people are vaping or smoking marijuana indoors, correct? And, it, and it's almost under the watchful eye of Vancouver Police Headquarters, which is just a short distance away. How has that relationship developed over the years?
2: Well, like I said, Mark Emery opened up in 1994, and he was raided and arrested by police numerous times, even for offenses like promoting vaporization, which was a criminal offense. So Mark's been charged and shut down, but every time they shut him down, he would open up again and say, no, I refuse to stop. We're on the right side of history here. And he's correct. So we win out in the end. But basically, we've struggled and we've dealt with city bylaws, we've always had this back and forth with the city, but there's no harm being caused. Our business doesn't create any harm. We simply create employment, we employ 40 different people, we pay taxes, we do everything that legitimate businesses do, so we're not some shady underground club. We're actually the model for 10 years now of what vapor lounges should be like. And we look to Amsterdam as a model there you can go to a coffee shop and you can purchase cannabis and use it nobody's forced to go there nobody's being subjected to any harm and when you look at any business like a hair salon for example that's nothing but toxic chemicals being put on people's heads and hands all day long so everyone who comes to our business chooses to they consent to for many of them they can't consume marijuana in their home most people find our place very enjoyable and pleasant For a lot of them, they're patients and they find community and connection by coming to our place. I've had people tell us we're saving their life by allowing them to get out, use their medicine and engage with fellow-minded citizens. So we're creating a service, but it's not without controversy. And I think in the future, we're going to not talk about whether we should legalize pot or not, because that's a given after all our years of activism, we're going to be talking about. Where can people buy it and consume it? And uh, we'll that's ask something you, I'm willing to fight.
0: Yeah, I want to ask you about that in just a second, Jody, and we'll talk uh, prohibition history as well as uh, your calls for amnesty as well. But why don't we get to exactly why you were in Ottawa? What was the message you delivered at that liberal forum on, on legalization?
2: Well, we only got a week's notice that they were going to hold this forum. So I went there to speak on behalf of all the people who have been arrested and punished from prohibition You know there are a lot of people involved in dispensaries we're not Uh, we're not a medical type facility so we're still just basically serving the activism and recreational needs but i was there to speak on behalf of the two million canadians since 1965 who have been arrested for pot i'm talking about all of the adults in this country who have lost their jobs their home their right to travel even their children because of marijuana law enforcement i spoke to the fact that Hundreds of millions of tax dollars are being spent every year on pot law enforcement while we're suffering and in need of health care funding and more important priorities. So I begged the panel and the senators assembled to please consider amnesty, which was also suggested by a senator, Monroe. But I asked them to also issue a moratorium on marijuana arrests because it doesn't make sense that this government is going to keep arresting and punishing peaceful Canadians for pot possession when those very same Canadians are expected to buy pot legally with the government's approval a year or so from now. That's unjust. It's unequal enforcement, and we really need to stop arresting people for pot possession across this country. It happens every nine minutes. A cop hassles somebody for pot possession. You're not the the only one that's
0: uh, calling for uh, an immediate removal of criminal restrictions. NDP leader Thomas Mulcair has done the exact same thing. Jody, I've got a listener right now, Steve, tuning in from Barhead, who says, uh, I think that... uh, legalizing marijuana is a bad move. He says, medical? Sure. Recreational? No. That's where I'd like to pick up when we return from this quick break with Jody Emery, the debate between medicinal and recreational use. What's her take on that? We'll be right back. 946 on this Friday morning, Jody Emery, our guest. Jody, I've never asked you this. How do, how do you feel about the Princess of Pot nickname? How Do you, you like it?
2: <laughs> I don't mind it. You know, my husband's the prince So um, I'm
0: fine with that. But, I mean, in your own right, you've got your own opinions on this. You've got your own uh, activism efforts and certainly a respected voice across Canada. Uh, When it comes to the debate, and and I'll tell you it's alive and well since I read that text message just a few moments ago, uh, people talk about, okay, medicinal marijuana being one thing, but access uh, for Canadians to marijuana for recreational purposes is an entirely different conversation. How do you differentiate between the two?
2: Well, there's certainly two different models. There's medical and recreational. But for many recreational users, you know, recreation means healthy activity. So for some people, using marijuana to prevent illness and to feel healthy, natural diet of nutrient-rich food or walking instead of running or taking the bus or using a car. But let's talk about recreational marijuana. It's a safer choice than alcohol. Right now in Canada, we have a crisis of young people and older using way too much alcohol, and we know alcohol causes brain damage, death, disease, violence, sexual assault, rape. There's endless harms from alcohol, but we know many people use it safely and responsibly so we don't make alcohol illegal. But marijuana is a safer choice. It's not toxic. It's never killed anybody, and it allows people to reduce their use of alcohol. We're also seeing across this country a crisis of fentanyl and overdoses of prescription pharmaceuticals and painkillers. Marijuana is proven to help people reduce their dependency on these very dangerous, harmful, addictive substances. So if we're looking at recreational marijuana, it's a much safer choice. And according to the U.S., Forbes magazine wrote how where marijuana is more available, public health savings benefits come into play because people do drink less. They reduce their use of hard drugs, and they use more marijuana, so that saves money from the health care system. Uh, but I think we need to also look at how Canada can be a leader. Legalization equals job creation, and especially in Alberta right now, boy, do we need jobs. So Canadians who are experts in farming, in green economy, we know pot. We've got the BC Bud brand out here. We should be allowing Canadians to participate in this industry, which includes industrial, agricultural, health foods, medicine, retail, tourism. There's endless possibilities and enormous benefits for Canadians health-wise and financially with a legal recreational market.
0: Former Toronto Police Chief Bill Blair, of course, Parliamentary Secretary to Canada's Federal Justice Minister, has said, hey, until the law changes, the law is the law. Police should continue to arrest, and those convicted should continue to serve their sentences. What's your take on prohibition and amnesty? I know that you're really, really pushing that petition out there to get the feds to act on this.
2: Absolutely, because it's unjust to arrest peaceful Canadians for pot possession, when they're being told to buy it legally a year from now. That's a lot of tax money being wasted, and that's a criminal record on that Canadian citizen. Again, they can't get their job, they can lose their home, they can be refused to travel and volunteer, they can lose their children, simply for having a charge for pot possession. Again, this is when the government says, buy it legally next year, just be patient, we're going to get it to you. So that doesn't make sense and the government should be able to issue a moratorium on at least pot possession, decriminalization, like Tom Mulcair said. We do need full legalization, and the government should probably take time to figure out those details. But in the meantime, every nine minutes, a Canadian encounters a cop for pot possession. That's a waste of resources. We've got missing and murdered women across this country. We've got a lot of crime that should be investigated. And we're looking at, you know, this government saying that we're a nation of law-abiding citizens, but we wouldn't be talking about legalization if it wasn't for law breakers. My husband Mark Emery and many others used peaceful civil disobedience to break these unjust laws. Selling High Times magazine was illegal, but he did it to challenge that law. And so we have to thank all of the activists, the medical marijuana patients, the dispensaries and growers for ignoring this unjust law and moving forward because the government never gave medical marijuana to the people. The government hasn't given any marijuana freedom to the people. It's only been obtained through getting arrested, going to court, and challenging the law in court time and time again, just like the recent Allard decision that just happened, allowing patients to grow their own medicine at home. These are decisions from the courts, not from the government, and the government has had to change the laws because of the law-breaking citizens who peacefully disobeyed marijuana prohibition laws.
0: Mm. Jody Emery, our guest. Jody, I've got to fit in one last break. When we come back, I'll ask Canada's so-called princess of pot what she makes of Canada's biggest drugstore chain, Shoppers Drug Mart, saying publicly, yeah, you know what? We're looking at getting into the medical marijuana business. More with Jody Emery right after this. Jody Emery, our guest through this half hour. Jody, thanks for holding the line. Shoppers Drug Mart says they're looking at the possibility of getting into the medical marijuana business. In an ideal world, if you were calling the shots, how would people access their cannabis?
2: Ideally, we'd have a truly free and fair market where the government could try and have a shot at it with their shops, where private small businesses could also take part. It would be similar to the craft beer industry getting into the alcohol industry. It created jobs in a whole new area, but Molson Brewery isn't looking to shut down the little craft breweries. So there's room for everyone, and you can also brew your own beer. So I think we really need to include the people who built this industry. As I noted before, we've got decades of activists and dispensaries who have operated very bravely when it was dangerous to do so to demonstrate why we need cannabis distribution available in this country so i would love the option of being able to go to a farmer's market and buying a local farmer's crop but also being able to go to a chain store where i know they're always going to have the same brand and the same strain but if i was a medical marijuana patient i would probably want to go to a licensed producer from health canada and get some very standardized regulated medicine-quality marijuana from them. Okay. So we have to make sure we don't have an oligopoly or monopoly. We can't let anyone try and criminalize their competition. If you try and overregulate, you're just going to have a new form of prohibition. So we really should allow all adults to be allowed to engage in this industry, and that requires amnesty for all of the so-called criminals who have been charged under prohibition laws of the past.
0: Jody, I'm right up against the clock, so I almost need a yes, no answer here, but almost in the park listening and makes a great point, says uh, your guest says they're paying taxes from their business, the same as any other business, but if bongs pipes and magazines are illegal in Canada, does this mean the federal government is collecting taxes on illegal items when they're sold? Is that the case? Ow.
2: Yes, that's true. The government is profiteering as well. So let's just make it all legal so we can all be above board and benefit.
0: Wow, that's been an under-discussed element of this entire debate. Jody Emery, thanks for taking the time to talk to us.
2: Anytime, thank you. Really
0: appreciate your time. That's Jody Emery, of course, Canada's so-called princess of pot. You can let me know what you think of what you just heard. You can text us to six 30 We'll get to your take on marijuana legalization right after these happen.